G'day, it's Sunday, I'm Scott Gibbons and this is On The Road. So if you're ready to be on the road, I'm ready to be on the road, let's get on the road together and we're going to learn all about caravans and motorhomes and maybe some camper trailers and tents and places to go and see. We're going to explore Australia together. This is going to be fun. If you're ready, fasten the seatbelt, we're on the road. G'day, it's Australia Day. How good that we can have Australia Day. How good. And how good that we can have Australia Day and we speak English. Because we came so close to speaking Dutch. We came so close to speaking French. And I was up in New Guinea only recently. And we came so close to speaking Japanese. So every soldier, every volunteer, everyone who saved our nation. Not just in the wars, but only recently with the fires. Everyone who volunteered and did something Thank you. And now, for the rest of us, we've got to get out there and do our bit. We've got to go out there with our empty eskies, and when we visit the towns, we've got to buy. We've got to buy. It doesn't matter what you buy, just buy. Because if you can do it, then you're also on that hero list, because you're helping Australia be Australia. And my determination now is to try and just buy Australian. Just buy Australian. When I, look at, when I go to the supermarket and I look at a product... You'd be amazed some of the products that you think are made in Australia, and they may be, but they're not made with Australian contents. Some of the tomato sauces are not made in Australia with, with Australian majority ingredients. So, you know, tomato sauce now, I'm Rosella. Rosella all the way because it's Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And that's what we've got to do. And you, that's, that's what we have to do now, is look around and see when you're buying something, even as simple as cheese, turn it over and see where the cheese came from. Where is the product base? If it's not majority Australian, then put it back. We've, we've got to start helping Australia be Australian, and then we've got to get out there and see this wonderful nation of ours because it is that good. And as we go out there with our empty eskies, we also get to do our bit. So there you go. It's Australia Day and we're going to have a lot of fun. So if you're thinking of buying a used van, there are some guides on buying used vans. So Budget Direct, they came up with a thing to say that buying a van is a big commitment. And it is. It's a major financial investment, but also marks the beginning, maybe, of a big new chapter in your life. And so selecting a van is a decision that shouldn't be made lightly. Rather, they say it, it requires some research and some preparation, and that's particularly true for people who are buying a van for their very first time. Now, there's a lot of factors, a lot of factors to weigh up, and it's easy to get overwhelmed. So, consequently, it's hard to know if you're making an informed, practical decision and purchasing a van that's right for you. However, don't let that detract away from the experience because buying a van should be fun. It should be exciting. It's one of those things that you're saying, hey, we're doing it. We're getting that. We're rewarding ourselves. We're doing it. So to ease the stress and allow you to make a confident and informed decision, they put together a caravan buying guide for a used van. Now, it's full of handy checklists. So if you've got a pencil handy, a biro handy, or if you're quick at typing, then do it. Have a look at that and we'll give you some tips on buying a van for the very first time. So all you've got to do is get ready to hit the road. So buying a used van requires, as we said, requires some research, and it should be fairly simple, but there's some things you've got to do. So to get the ball rolling on your caravan research, it's, it's to ask yourself one simple question, why do you want to buy a caravan? Now, it's not a trick question. 
So will it be for family use? Or are you hoping to go on a solo trip? Is it, is it just a couple that are going to go on it? How often are you going to use it? Are you going to use it once a year, a couple of times a year? Do you anticipate using it once a month or even more? Are you going to do the big lap? So there's so many things, and that's going to determine what size caravan you're going to pick and also what you need to tow it with. Now, there's plenty of light vans around that you can tow with just a conventional sedan, but you might want to go the four-wheel drive route, and again, you've just got to work out your GVM. So basically, the intended purpose of your van can impact on what you end up buying, so it's important to have a clear set of parameters. And once they're crystal clear and you've got them written down, then it's time to start getting out there and doing your research. Now, there's heaps of sites that sell vans, heaps. So set aside an afternoon, browse through, eliminate any options that definitely don't suit your needs, then create your shortlist. And once you've got that shortlist, then you move on to step two. So you can do a lot of that research online, as much as you want, really, but you won't really know. This is the good part. You won't really know if that caravan's right for you until you inspect it. So after all, you've got camera angles that can be taken of a caravan and they, they can be a little bit deceptive. So it's possible that what was described as normal wear and tear online can actually mean <laughs> barely roadworthy in real life. So to avoid any nasty surprises, you want to organise an inspection of any caravans you might think might be suitable. Now preparation, preparation is the key to ensure that your inspection goes smoothly. So here's a few items to bring along with you. So bring a tape measure so you can measure the caravan specifications. Bring a tape measure. And, and I would suggest if you've got a tape measure that's both metric and feet and inches. So metric and feet and inches because caravans for some ungodly reason are still measured in many cases in feet. You know, somebody will say I've got an 18 footer, a 15 footer, a 14 footer, a 9 footer, whatever it be, even a 23 footer, 25 footer. So and you've that's just jargon. You've got to work out what it really means. And bearing in mind that on top of that is your is your tow hitch, the, the drawbar. So that's on top of that. So then you've got to have a torch. A phone light might not be strong enough. A good torch is good so that you can actually see into some of the difficult to see areas. Now, one of the difficult to see areas is the kitchen. So open up the kitchen cupboards and climb uh, as far in there as you can and have a good little look. So have a pre-written checklist of, of what's not negotiable for you so you don't forget them on the day. Because you can get, and you deserve to get excited. I've been excited, and I know what it's like. So a, a notepad and pen to write down your thoughts, your observations, and any questions you've got while you're looking at the caravan. Now, a damp meter is a good thing to take with you, a damp meter. Now, that will help you ascertain if there's any moisture levels in the van that are not good. So moisture levels, because if the van's got a leak, then that's something for you to be aware of. So a camera, so you can take photos to peruse later, that's a good idea. Uh, and it's amazing. See, sometimes, again, with the excitement, you, you forget some of the things you've seen. You think, oh, I remember that, but no, you don't. So just take a photo of it, go through, and that'll remind you of it again. Sometimes, sometimes it's good to take a, a friend along that's got a bit of vanity experience so that they can have a look. Just be aware that they're not going to get jealous on you and, and try and dissuade you on something that you think is the right one for you. So just listen, listen, you know, take advice, but you're the one that's going to make the decision. You're the grown-up. So the, when the big day is there, then you've got to check it out for rust. So particularly underneath the caravan. So rust underneath. Dents and marks or scratches. If you can, check the roof as well. 
Now, that's a, that's a big ask because you've got to get up fairly high and you've got to have a fairly big ladder. But if you can, check the roof as well. Check the leaks. Make sure the windows and doors open and close and, and lock properly. Check the condition of the tyres. Check the age of the tyres. Check the axles and the suspensions in good condition. Check the chassis, of course. Check the seals around the windows and the doors and vents are all in good working order. Check the gas and the electrical connections work. So if, if they're connected, then make sure that they work. And that's not a hard thing to do because whoever's selling it will happily make it work for you. Check the brake pads if you can, if you can. Check the headlights and the brake lights are functional. Um, so headlights are not really something, that, but check your, your outside lights. So make sure that they're working, your brake lights work, your blinkers work, that sort of thing. The caravan's battery if you can, but check underneath the caravan as well as the roof. That's, that's the priority. That's the priority. Now the inside... You're looking for smells. So you're looking, but you're smelling for smells as well. So if there's any bad odours, then that could be mould. That could be. Check that the lights and other electronics inside work. Uh, the water sources, the shower works, the sink works, and that they flow away properly. That's good to know. Is there any appliances? If the appliances are there, then see if they work. The condition of any furniture. Uh, again, dampness. That's where your damp meter comes in handy. Uh, discoloration or dents on the roof and walls and cabinets. Check that the caravan has got adequate safety equipment. So does it have a smoke alarm? Does it have a fire extinguisher? Does it have a fire blanket? Those sorts of things. Now, it's not the end of the world if they don't. You've just got to write them down so you know to make sure that you've got them fitted for you. They're not things that you, you put aside. They're not something you think, oh, I'll do that later. No, no, no. You do them as soon as you get the van. So you've got to make sure. And I would suggest to you, if it's got a battery in the smoke alarm, then you change the battery, put a fresh one in, note down the date so you can do that every year. Check that the floor carpet and whatnot's in a decent condition, unless you're going to change it, because it doesn't matter if it's worn out. If you're going to change it and put new in for your colour, then that's fabulous. The drawers and the cupboards again, you might be going to change them, so it might not matter to you because you might be handy and you might want to redo it in your colour scheme, whatever. All you're looking at basically is the layout. But if you're keeping it as it is, then the drawers and the cupboards, that they're in a decent condition. Any any signs of insects or pests, especially ants. And again, check the ceilings in good condition. So there's some of the things. Now you've checked the van inside and out. You're satisfied that it's fine. But obviously, if you're purchasing a used van, you might have to compromise on some of the things. And that's one of the things you do when you're buying, isn't it? You always compromise on something, so it's, it's not a big deal. So all you want to know is how old is the van. And the seller should have paperwork for that. Or you can look at the compliance plate. Um, has it had any previous owners? Uh, where's the van been driven in the past? Uh, where's it been primarily kept? Has it been undercover or outside? Mine's kept outside, so... You know, and that's not the end of the world either because they're designed for that. They, I mean, your house is outside. You don't put your house undercover. Your house is outside. Same with your van. Uh, is spare parts still available for that make and model? And if you're satisfied, then just get some money organised and, and you do a deal and be happy. And I think that's what we've got to do is be happy. So that's pretty easy. It's not the hardest thing to do to go and buy a van. It's a pretty easy thing to do. And i tell you what, if you want to, there's some great dealers out there as well who are going to be looking after you. So there's some fabulous dealers out there. Maybe you want to go up there to Watson's Leisure Centre up in Coffs Harbour. Maybe you want to go to Paravans. You work out where you want to go because both of those people are terrific and they're going to look after you. So 
if you're going to get out there and you're going to have a great time, then you're going to live it up. If you're going to live it up, you might as well have mental as anything with live it up. Here they come now. You enjoy them. Hey, it's Australia Day. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Here comes live it up.
G'day, I'm Scott Gibbons, you're on the road, and we're going to have some great things today. We've got the Riverboats Music Festival. Now, can I ask you to go and get your borrow, your pencil, a piece of chalk, something to write this down, because you're going to want to do it, I would reckon. It's called the Riverboats Music Festival. Now, it's Achuca. Now, Achuca is just where they did all the rivers run. Achuca is just one of the prettiest places you could ever go. And we said this year... All we're doing is going Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. That's where we're going. We're going to tour Australia and the River Boats Music Festival is Achuca Moama. That's Achuca, E-C-H-U-C-A, Moama, M-O-A-M-A. And it's on February 14 to February 16. So if you want to go for Valentine's Day, could you go anywhere prettier than Achuca? I doubt it. So here's the website. It's called riverboatsmusic.com. .au riverboatsmusic all one word .com.au now the best thing is the lineup now the 2020 lineup is amazing you've got Bernard Fenning Kate Miller Heitke Troy Cassadaly something for Kate Archie Roach is going to be there Dyson Stringer Cloa Robert Foster Bob Evans Mama Kin Spender, Ainsley Wills is there. You've also got Matt Joe Gow, Jess Locke, and the MC is Brian Nancurvis. So it's just going to be fabulous. Now, to find out about accommodation, you go to Achuca, E C H U C A, Moama, M O A M A dot com. Achuca, Moama dot com. And you'll find out all about accommodation. Or you can just give them a call on 1-800-804-446. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that you might want to find out. But the, the festival is so good. It's the Riverboats Music Festival. It's on the Murray River. And it's just a beautiful contemporary premier music event. It's wonderful. So it's staged in the twin towns of Achukamoama. It's always on the third weekend in February each year. So... If you can't go this year, and I hope you can, but if you can't, then just plop it into your diary for next year, for 21, 22, 23. It's on the third weekend in February each year. And the riverboats takes place under the towering Red River Gums. Now, if you haven't seen the Red River Gums along the waterway, oh, by golly, they are just majestic. So it's a natural amphitheatre. It's next to the mighty Murray. You've got the historic paddle steamers and they'll just meander past all weekend and occasionally the Corellas will get a little bit raucous at sunset and then you'll have one stage and plenty of room for dancing and you've got brilliant artists and some of the best food trucks going around. So the Music Festival for 2020 will celebrate its ninth anniversary. So it's Friday the 14th, so that's Valentine's Day, what a lovely place to go, through until Sunday, February 16th, and they want you to join them. And I, th I think you'll be in for a fabulous time. So there's some frequently asked questions when you go onto the website. If you want to find out about some of the answers to those, I can give you some of the answers now, so that might save you just that little bit of time. And that are, oh, sorry, they are. So where is it? So it's at the Yachuka Moama. It's in the northern Victoria on the banks of the Murray River. It's approximately 200 kilometres or two and a half hours thereabouts from Melbourne. It's on the Northern Highway. It's roughly an hour from Bendigo and 45 minutes from Shepparton. So if you go onto Google, then you'll find a Butte map right there. So you just go onto that. But if you go onto the riverboatsmusic.com.au, you'll find all of these answers there. So 
All the performances take place in the Festival Hub, which is located at the Aquatic Reserve in Haygarth Street, Echuca. And the Aquatic Reserve is situated right next door to the Echuca Moama Visitor Centre. So you just follow the blue tourist information signs as you're coming into town, or, and I think that's probably the easiest thing to do, again, go onto the website if you want to. So it's on in, Fe- in 21, in February 19 to 21 in 2021. It's on in 2022, 2023, again, the third weekend in the month of February. So you can buy tickets, and tickets are not expensive. Uh, so you can just go on there and do all the things that you want. So it's fabulous, the Riverboat Festival. Now, if you haven't seen the paddle wheelers that are down there, oh, you've got to see the paddle wheelers. This, it's just, it's different. It's exciting. It's as exciting as it is, it's calming. You will love it. But Echuca Moama is just a fabulous thing. You've got a festival breakfast down there as well. You've got great accommodation that you can do. So, again, you're only two and a half hours from Melbourne. It's a heritage town. It's a river town. You've got the largest. Now, here's something you might not know. You've got the largest fleet of paddle steamers in the world. The largest fleet of paddle steamers in the world. So it was once Victoria's biggest inland river So paddle steamers traded along the Murray and the Darling Rivers almost as far as to the Queensland border and they brought their cargoes of wool to Echuca Moama for transport to the Port of Melbourne. So these days it's a thriving regional town, it's got about 20,000 locals and yet lots of visitors each year. You've got heritage listed promenades, a working steam port, it's a beautiful Mediterranean type climate and the food and wine down there, well they're just acclaimed all over the place. So Fabulous, fabulous festival. Now, I would reckon uh, you're going to go there and you're going to say, how good is this? If you're going to say, how good is this? Then you might as well have a a little bit of Normie Row, I reckon. What about Normie Row, Kesara Sarah? Normie Row, Kesara Sarah, because we just, I think Normie's fabulous. So you enjoy that and we'll be back with you in just a little while. Hey, this is Scott Gibbons. You're on the road. And if you're on the road, you might as well go to the Echuca Moama. It's the home of the riverboats. It's the music festival. And you just find that at riverboatsmusic.com.au. Here's Normie Rowe. You enjoy this.
Ah, uh, Normie Road, Kesarat. You can't stop humming along to that. You can't. I, I hear that, and I've just got to try and hit all those notes along with him. So, <laughs> good on you, Normie. Now, toughtoys.com.au, they have uh, some interesting articles in there, uh, all about driving in bulldust. So, and as they say, nobody ever said Australia was short of challenging landscapes, and isn't that the truth? And not many of them are more challenging than bulldust. Now, if you don't know about bulldust, it's a very, very fine, powdery dust. It's almost like talcum powder, not the same colour, and it tends to form on dirt tracks. And you're most likely to find it in areas where tracks get boggy in the wet, and then they bake all summer, and then they just become bulldust. So a lot of people enjoy driving on bulldust, especially if you like driving on skid bands and things. A heap of fun. You'll love it. But for most people, it's a bit of a pain. So get it wrong on bulldust and you can end up with a very messy recovery job or even a serious accident. So the big problem with bulldust is unless there's a bit of wind or someone else that's driven over it fairly recently, then it looks like a nice, smooth, firm surface. And then you drive onto it and suddenly, everything just goes to hell. The, the wheels start to lose grip. Uh, you need to hit the fuel, the go pedal, uh, to keep the speed up. And the world will just disappear in a cloud of dust. So it's just, it's like out of a movie. It's just big cloud of dust, huge. And if you're lucky, then you're okay. But sometimes bulldust patches are just a few centimetres deep and, and there's hard ground underneath. And if you can maintain a steady speed, go easy on the steering, you should be able to get through pretty easily. But other times, the dust goes a lot deeper. Deep enough that you can get bogged down if you don't keep the momentum up. So momentum is the key. And if you do keep your momentum up, there's probably a nasty surprise waiting for you at the other side because deep patches often will have a, a rock-hard vertical edge. And if you hit that at any speed then you risk maybe bursting a tyre or bending a rim or even doing major suspension damage. So if you're driving in an area where bulldust is likely to appear, keep an eye out for the signs of it. If there's a, a sudden patch that doesn't have any ruts in it or tyre tracks have blurred into a like a v, V-shaped channel, then that might be bulldust. So if you can, stop and investigate it. Clever, stop and investigate it if you can. Because if it is, then you've got to check how deep it is. And if it's not too far away, what the other side is like. And if you can find a way around it, then find your way around it. It's not, it's not being chicken. You're not being chicken. You're being very, very sensible. But if, you, if you need to, and this is probably a good idea, drop your tyre pressures. Also, turn your headlights on to low beam so that there's more chance of you being seen through the dust by another vehicle. Because I'm telling you, bull dust is, it's dust. It's really, really major. So uh, maybe change into four-wheel high range and then set off. And keep your speed below about 80k. This is what they're suggesting from toughtoys.com.au. So keep your speed below about 80k and don't let it start to drop off. Because if it falls too low, you probably won't get that speed up again. Momentum is the key. So steer gently and don't try to correct every deviation. Don't try and correct every deviation. Just head for your exit point and be extra careful of any bulldust that has uh, bits of vehicles in it. So if you see some shredded rubber or minor bits of bodywork, for example, then that might mean that there's a hard edge 
that it's someone else has come to grief in. So ball dust, oh, this is important. Oh, this is important. Ball dust is murder on your air filter. So make extra sure to check your air filter regularly and either clean it or replace it. So if you can, put a, a blower head onto your, uh, your tyre inflator so that you can blow the dust away. But if you can, keep a couple of spare air filters. If you know that you're going somewhere where it's really dusty, because I'm telling you, if you get dirt into uh, your engine, so bypasses your filter or you clog your filter up too much and it sucks it in, you can kill your engine. And when I say kill your engine, I mean you might have to replace your engine. And I know this the hard story way. I know it. So just be super, super careful. So anyone who goes off roads is likely to find bull dust eventually. It's not a lot of fun, but like most things, if you know how to cope with it, then you'll get through in one piece. So there you go. That's a little bit of interesting story for you. Now, how do you perform a safe recovery? Well, being able to perform, and this comes again from toughtoys.com.au, being able to perform uh, and being able to recover your vehicle is an essential skill for anyone who plans to head off-road. So it's also a potentially dangerous thing to do. A recovery means being around heavy vehicles with powerful engines and uneven or unstable ground, and there'll probably be highly tensioned snatch straps involved as well, and it all adds up to a lot of potential for serious, and maybe, maybe, nobody wants this, but maybe even fatal accidents. So recoveries will never be completely safe because there's just too much weight. There's too much force involved. And that doesn't mean you can't seriously reduce the risk though. So if you know what you're doing, recovery goes from an accident waiting to happen into something that's well within acceptable risk. So you've got to get kitted up. So the best guarantee of a safe recovery is to have the right gear. So trying to haul out another wagon out of with a bit of old rope, uh, you're just asking for trouble. You're just asking for trouble. So a lot of people buy their recovery gear and they never use it. And when they go to use it, they don't know how to use it. They bought it, but they don't know how to use it. But if you've got good quality recovery gear in good condition, then you'll have no trouble. So recovery straps don't have an infinite life. So the fact that you bought one doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. They're generally good for about eight to 10 recoveries. So check the instructions on yours. And once your strap's been used, the recommended number of times, just replace it. Replace it. There's nothing worse than if the gear fails and you've saved $50. You could have bought a new one for $50 and you didn't because you saved 50 bucks and now you're trying to save your life and I reckon your life's worth more than 50 bucks. So don't try to economise. Every time you use a strap, wash it, inspect to see if it's picked up any damage and always get the best gear that you can afford. The best that you can afford. It's not the time to go out shopping at Tom the Cheap. Just don't do that because your recovery gear, you're recovering. I mean, have a look at it. You've got your life. You've got those that are with you, their lives. And then you've got your beloved vehicle. And maybe your friends that are there that you're trying to pull out as well. And you've saved $50. It doesn't make sense. So get the best gear that you can afford. Make sure it's got the right rating for your vehicle. Make sure the recovery straps, the shackles and other gear are rated high enough to cope with the job that you want. So the full load, anything you need to tow, that's what you've got to do. Make sure that the gear that you've got is the right gear. Again, go to someone that knows what they're doing. Go to ARB. Go to ARB at St. Peter's. Talk to them. They will get you into the right gear. 
But if you've got a, a, a shop that you like to go to, go to them, but get the right gear. Now then you've got to read the ground. So before you dive in and get to work, take some time to check out the situation. Make sure, <laughs> make sure it's safe to recover the vehicle that you're trying to recover. So if it looks in danger of rolling, then try to remove the weight from high up. You know, a lot of people will put weight high up on in their roof rack. So they'll put some spare tires and they'll put some jerry cans and they'll put some toolboxes and things up high and you're trying to recover something. Well, if, if the, your centre of gravity is now too high, so you've got to get that centre of gravity down. So remove, if you can safely, remove that extra high up gear. So And then work out the recovery route you're going to use. Clear any rocks, clear any debris, clear any logs, clear any obstructions, and that'll cut the strain on your equipment and reduce the risk of losing control. So, <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> so examining the ground will give you a good idea of the best way to carry out the recovery, and you might see that some quick work with a shovel and a good push might be all you need, and you save yourself some, some extra work with the straps. So there you go. There's a couple of hints for you. And speaking of hints, I reckon you're going to look at that and say, well, how's that? That was a pretty good thing to do. So why don't we have how's that from Sherbert? I know it's cricket season. I know you've been hearing the song all season. But by gee, it's good. And you can't help, again, you can't help but sing along with us. So here's how's that, Sherbert. You enjoy that. We'll be right back with you in just a little while. Hey, you're on the road. It's Sunday. I'm Scott Gibbons. We're here every Sunday between 1 and 2. We love being with you. And look after our sponsors. Our sponsors are fabulous. So you look after them. I'll tell you about some of the sponsors during the show today. We've got some good things coming up for you. So here we go. We've got How's That? Sherbert. We'll see you in just a little while.
G'day, it's Scott Gibbons. We're on the road. And by golly, it's good to be with you. And I hope, I hope you escaped all the horrors of the fires. By golly, hasn't the nation gone through some horrific times? And thank you to our government for getting us through. They've done such a terrific job. Some say they haven't. I reckon they've just been brilliant. So, hey, there's things to do. We've got to get out there and see Australia. We've got to get out there and spend some money in the country towns. I've got a whole list of towns for you to go and see and some things for you to do when you get there. Now, you don't have to drive far, but I was looking at Orange, the Orange region. So you go through Bathurst, continue on to Orange, and there's so many things out there. So if you want to go to Blaney, Blaney, B-L-A-Y-N-E-Y, go to Blaney. Not a big place. It's got about 3,100 people there, but by golly, it's pretty. Now, the third Sunday of every month is the Blaney Farmer's Market. So that's the third Sunday of every month. There's harness racing on between February and May. The Blaney Agricultural Show is on in March. So if you're doing your diary, if you're checking things out what to do this year, then March, you've got the Blaney Show. That's the Agricultural Show. You can't do better than that. That's just fabulous. Then there's so many things all the way through the year. The Blaney Spring Flower Show, that's on in September. So the Spring Flower Show. Now there's lookouts to go to. You can take a boat, you can pitch a tent, you can fish at Carcor. It's just wonderful. So that's Blaney. Now if you go to Canoundra, and I was at Canoundra recently. Now if you look at Canoundra, it's C-A-N-O-W-I-N-D-R-A. Some people might say Canoundra, but no, 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 it's Canoundra. So it is just, fa- now, when I say fabulous, you've got a motor museum out there that you've just got to go and see. So if you are a car freak, you've got to go there. But what you can expect in Canoundra, it's located on the Bellabula River, and the valley provides ideal conditions for hot air ballooning. Now, they have, they have one of the best balloon festivals in the world, in the world. So it's just terrific. So that's on April. So it's the first event in April, and it's just terrific. So you've got to go to that. So you've, you've got to do that. The Canoundra Show's on in September. The Mirabel Markets, they're on the first Saturday of the month. So it's just fabulous. So you can book a balloon flight. You've got to go. So that's Canoundra. Make sure, make sure that you go to the, the car museum that they've got out there. And also, oh, if you really want to do something really interesting, it's called the Age of Fishes Museum. Now, you might think, well, you don't want to go to that. Well, you do. You do. It's the home to the state fossil, uh, state fossil emblem. It is just, there's an audio tour. You can go through at your own pace. They'll do a tour with you if you want. But they've got a collection of 360 million year old fossils. So 360 million years old. The other thing is they'll show you the way the world has changed naturally. The world has changed naturally. At one stage, Australia, the land that we know as Australia, was up in the northern hemisphere. Not the southern hemisphere. We were up in the northern hemisphere and the world has changed that much that we are now down south. So when you talk about global change and whatnot, it's been going on for a long time. We were connected to so many other nations and then over time, things have split away. So if you get a chance, go there, you will learn so much. It's fabulous. So that's Canoundra. So you've got to do that. There's Carcor. Carcor is just 
wonderful. Now, Kalkoor is little. It's got a, a population two to 300 people. But it's, it's famous for, it's the second oldest settlement west of the Blue Mountains. It's the birthplace of the famous Paralympian and, and marathon winner, Kurt Fernley, OAM. Now, Kurt Fernley, if you've ever been involved in the Paralympics and you've seen Kurt Fernley, he is just a mega, mega hero. Beautiful fellow, beautiful fellow. So the Carcor Open Day, that's on in April and May. The Carcor Show, that's the last Saturday of the month in October. And the Carcor Running Cup, that's in November. Carcor, C-A-R. C-O-A-R, Carcor, fabulous. So you've got to go to that. Now, these are all around the Orange District. You can go to Cargo, C-A-R-G-O, Cargo. Again, small population, somewhere around two to 300 people. But the village has a strong history of gold mining, major booms from 1869 to 1879. But what you can go now, there's Australia Day celebrations, obviously. They have those, but you're going to miss those because this is coming out around about then anyway. But you've got so much to do there. You can have a lovely picnic. It's a lovely area. You've got old churches. Um, there was a stopover for the Cobb & Co coaches from Orange to Canoundra. So that's, that's just terrific. Uh, you've got so much to go through. Cumnock, C-U-M-N-O-C-K, Cumnock. Again, it was first settled as a farming community back in 1865. It's, <laughs> I've done this, and I did this fairly recently. It's home of the Animals on Bikes Paddock Sculpture Trail. Now, if you've got kids, or even if you enjoy Aussie humour, you've got to go and see this. It's just fabulous. So it's called Animals on Bikes. So as you drive along, you've got all these uh, sculptures of animals riding bikes. It's just, it, it is fabulous. So it's a close-knit community. It's really, really good. So you've got the Cumnock Markets on there on the third Saturday of the month. The Australian Stock Horse Youth Camp, that's again on in January. The Cumnock Agricultural Show and Camp Draft. Now, if you haven't seen camp drafting, you've got to go and do camp drafting. You've got to see that. That is just skill. skill. So it's on a horse, but you've got to see them do it. It's fabulous. So that's on in March at the Cumnock Agricultural Show and Camp Draft. That's March. Of course, you've got the Anzac service in April and you've got the Twilight Christmas carols at the Cumnock Christmas Tree and that's going to be in December. So you can drive through um, Banjo Patterson Way to spot many of the animals on bike sculptures. That is just so good. There's the Animal on Bikes Gallery and you've got cyclists that go out there. It is just lovely. So that's Cumnock, C-U-M-N-O-C-K, really worth going out there. And when you go out there, bear in mind, take your esky empty. Take your esky empty. So buy your goodies when you get to a country town and you help them. So, you know, you're buying your soft drinks and your butter and your bread and your milk. You're not taking anything with you because you're going to help these people. They've, they've been doing it tough. You know, they've gone through the drought and they've gone through the fires. So Ugara, Ugara, E-U-G-O-W-R-A, Ugara. Uh, you've got the murals and the car show in April. You've got the Ugara Agricultural Show in September and the Canola Cup in October. You've got Escort Rock that you can go and see. There's the Ugara History Museum. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. Ugara, E-U-G-O-W-R-A. And all of these are just near Orange. Lucknow, L-U-C-K-N-O-W, Lucknow. Uh, it's got one of the best, uh, let's see, one of the best, it's not really a museum, but if you just want to buy bits and pieces, it's got one of those bits and pieces shop that you can't, you can't go by. You've got to you've got to pop in and have a little look. It's terrific. So there's a historic walk there. You've got some quirky shopping and some friendly locals, 
and it's it's a beautiful thing to do. So the Wentworth Mine has open days, and they're open on the first Saturday and the first Sunday of the month from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. There's a museum trail, so you've got all the museums that you can go to. There's things to do all over the place. And, of course, don't forget Orange, which is magic. Orange is just magic. And you've got the Orange Food Fest that you have during the year as well. You've got Lindhurst, L-Y-N-D-H-U-R-S-T, Lindhurst. Again, a little place, but just the rich gold fields there were wonderful. So you've got all of that happening. You can join the locals for lunch and a chat if you want to. You can watch the team penning or play golf at the multifunction Lindhurst Golf Club. You can play tennis and just enjoy a beer, go fishing. So much, so much things to do, but it's a pretty place. Pretty. If the kids like pretty and you like pretty, then you've got to go there. Mandurama, M-A-N-D-U-R-A-M-A, Mandurama. It's, it's terrific. It's terrific. You've got to go there. So it was established in 1876 as a privately owned village for the workers of Thomas Isley's property, which was Cooming Park. So you've got to do that. So what can you expect there now? Well, there's polo weekends between March and May. Of course, you've got the Anzac Day Memorial in April. Uh, you've got the Camp and Fish at Baker's Shaft Reserve. You've got the Challenge of the Sunny Ridge Golf Course. You can explore the village, explore the parks, explore the shops. And, of course, you can drive the back roads to Orange and Bathurst and Canoundra with some spectacular scenery. And Manildra, I was in Manildra only recently. Lovely. So it lies on the banks of the Mandagiri River, or the Mandagiri River, whichever way you want to call it. Depends which school you went to. It's between Orange and Parks. There's a pub and a general store and gift shops. Uh, again, they've got the, the Sunday matinees between May and October, the agricultural show in September, and so much more to go and see. So what we've got to do, gang, we've got to get out there. Again, take your empty esky with you and spend up big when you get to the towns and do that. We've just got to put some money back into these towns because they they get they had their new year and it was terrible. Uh, tourism stayed away. We've got to go back out to tourism do that. So that's the Orange region. We might do a region each week, I reckon. That's going to be... And I had a call today or an email. I had an email today from... Uh, I popped into Mogo. Now, you might recall on the news recently, Mogo, they saved the zoo. They saved the zoo and they saved every animal in there which was wonderful. However, they lost some of the town. And some of the people, when I say some of the town, the shops. Now, there was a shop that I pulled into about a year ago, and I went in there, and they were, gee, they were lovely people, and I bought, and I bought big. In fact, I, I ordered some stuff that they had shipped to me. So they were just really, really lovely people. They had the bookshop, and they had the toys, and they had so many artefacts and history, and it was just glorious. It was one of those places... Again, you could walk into and just spend hours and just talk to the people and you'd buy some stuff and you'd feel good. Well, I felt really good until this morning when I found out that that shop was burnt in the fires and they sent me photos and there's a stick, a single stick that's left. So they've lost everything. In fact, they've even lost hope. The husband had a, a small heart attack. So, yeah, not good. So we've got to, we've got to do things. We've got to do things. We've got to get people back on the road. So... Let's have a little bit of music. Now, I reckon Marsha Hines might do this for us now. We've had fire, and what we need is rain. We really need rain. We need to break that drought. So let's listen to Marsha Hines' Fire and Rain. You enjoy that. We'll be back with you in just a little bit, and we'll tell you a bit more about what to do when you're out there and some of the things to be careful of, time, maintenance, and whatnot, how to use your UHF. We'll be back with you in just a little minute. This is Scott Gibbons. You're on the road. 
We're on the road together. It's going to be a great year for us. If you're listening in, we're going to be we're going to see some places together through each other's eyes. We're going to have a ball. So you listen to Marsha Hines' Fire and Rain. Here we go.
Oh, Marsha Hines, fire and rain. Yeah, gee, we need that rain. We need the rain. Now, Santa Claus came to town and maybe he got you a new UHF radio because one of the biggest things that's selling or the biggest thing that's selling in Australia as far as vehicles go is the ute and so many of those utes are four-wheel drives and people want to get out on the road. They want to see things. If you're going to do that, then you do need a UHF radio. In fact, I'm ready to get myself a new UHF radio. Now, my one's the 40 channel, and I've had it for so many years, and it's still, still excellent. But the 80 channel's now taking off, and I really think it's time to upgrade. So I'm going to be on the lookout for a new UHF radio. But if you've got one for Christmas, and you're not aware, or you've got your four-wheel drive, and you're now setting it up, and you're getting your radio, your UHF, then there's some things you've got to be aware of. And the most common mistake, the most common mistake first-time users tell us, and this is from 4x4 Adventures, is that they they try, you can't transmit and receive at the same time. So you can't transmit and receive at the same time. It's not like a mobile phone where you can, you can talk and you can hear somebody when they're interrupting you. Once you have pressed your button, they can hear you. It's only when you release your button that you can hear them. So if someone else is talking to you, you need to wait. So you wait a few seconds before replying in case, in case someone else needs to butt in with a hasty or an emergency call. Now, some handheld radios can only transmit, this is the handheld ones, some of the handheld ones, can only transmit for short bursts. So if you're inclined to ramble on, uh, then make sure you get one that's a bit more efficient than that. Now, your microphone works best if it's held forward of your cheek. So you talk across the microphone rather than straight at it. So just talk normally. There's no need to shout. Uh, Keying or pressing the transmit button doesn't mean instantaneous transmission. That's really important to know. So when you press the button, it doesn't mean that you're instantly connected So hold your words back for a second or so and pause or the person that's receiving your message might miss the first word two, three or four. So very importantly, press the button, count to one or two and then start talking. So that's good. So then if you want to, if you want to increase your vocabulary, if it's a blue vocabulary, let me tell you, then you can listen to the Truckee channel. That's generally, generally channel 40. So Um, And you'll hear some terms when you're listening to other people on UHF. You'll hear something like copy or copy that. And that means that they've heard you, they've understood the message, and that's good. Uh, You might hear somebody say 10-4 and over, which is the old old, uh, song, you know, 10-4, good buddy. So you might hear somebody say 10-4. Again, that means that they've heard your message and they're, they're finished with what they're saying. So it's over to you now. That's that part. Um, rather than okay, you might hear people say affirmative, which is yes, or negative, which is no. So single single responses. So that's good. That's good for you. Now, importantly, in Australia, there's currently 80 channels. There's 80 channels on the UHF frequency band. And of these, about 37 are for general chat. And a few others are commonly used by four-wheel drive travellers or 4 by 4 travellers too. Now, there's six types of channels. There's duplex input, duplex output, Restricted use, general use, safety, and groups. So along with 37 general use channels, travellers are most likely to just use the group and the safety channels or their 37 general use channels. So some location-specific uses of group channels exist, such as in Channel 10, Channel 10 in the Simpson Desert. So if you're in the Simpson Desert, then everybody goes on to Channel 10. That's the etiquette, is to tune into Channel 10. And that means that your group and your other groups can be aware of other track users, hopefully long before an unfortunate meeting at the top of a dune. So some groups rely on one car 
to have two radios, so one on channel 10 and another one on a quieter channel with the rest of their convoy. But this doesn't help necessarily, but does help, but it's one of those things. So channel 18, you'll find is usually used for motorhomes or caravans or camper trailers, so that's a good thing to know. You'll find the truckies sometimes call you a mobile roadblock or, or a wobble box. <laughs> channel 11 is for initiating calls. It, it's only used long enough to alert your contact to move to another channel. So if you want somebody on another channel, you just ring them through and say on, on channel 11 that you initiate the call, say move to channel 15, whatever it be. So safety channels are for general public use. So channel 29 for the Pacific Highway in New South Wales and Queensland or channel 40 for Australia-wide. So that's normally for trucks. So they're commonly used channels for trucks and professional drivers and they're useful for learning where road conditions are changed or roadworks are happening or an accident might happen or indeed if you want to talk to a truck and say you want to come by or more importantly to let a truck come by you. Now, if you're going to let a truck come by, do not slow down. Don't slow down. They've got enough equipment there, enough tonnage, that they're already going at the right momentum. They're going at the momentum that you are. If you slow down and they've got to top their brakes, then they're going to lose that momentum and, you, and the whole thing's stuffed. So you just stay at the speed that you're going and let them overtake you. But you can call them through if the road's clear. Nice thing to do. So most channels are known as simplex and they work on one frequency and duplex channels come in pairs. So the first eight channels are output channels and they're matched to the respective inputs in channel 30 to 38 range. Another set exists as channels 41 to 48 and again at 71 to 78. So duplex transmits on one channel and receives on another. So commonly used by repeater stations. So they're a way to gain significant range, especially if the repeater is located up high but it's also a quick way if you want to listen in to some of the radio cowboys. So finally, the, the restricted use channels come in a few flavours, and the most important and only one you may ever use is the emergency channel with channel 35 for input and 5 for output. Now, there's large fines, I mean it, large fines if you misuse that duplex channel. It's absolutely only for emergency communication. So to use it, you check your radio, Set your radio to duplex mode. Now, some radios will do that automatically. And you tune into channel 5. And once contact is made, consider moving to another channel to keep the emergency channel open for others. So there you go. A little bit of, little bit of UHF. So very important. But when you buy your radio, uh, if you buy it from a proper a proper UHF place, then they will be able to go through everything with you. And there's new radios coming out now that will even have two input channels or two channels so you can listen in on one channel and listen in on another channel as well so you can talk on two if you wish so that's that's about to happen it's actually happening now so tires are the other thing you've got to be aware of so make sure make sure that you've got a tire repair kit with you so wherever you drive off road you should carry a tire repair kit and you've got to know, and this is so important, don't just go in and buy the bit of gear because you think, gee, I better have a tyre repair kit. You've got to know how to use it because, you know, you only need it when you need it. <laughs> so you'll also need a suitable air compressor. You'll need some spare bits and pieces such as valve stems and valves and a valve tool, uh, tyre plugs, patches. And if you've got tube tyres, spare tubes and levers, and if you're heading off on an extended remote area expedition, then... You might even need to carry a second spare tyre. And make sure you've got a gauge with you as well. So 
having a good tyre pressure gauge is important. And then you've got to look after your tyre life. So you've got to know when to run your low pressures and you've got to know when to run conventional pressures. So that's, that's important. So if you're going off-road, then of course you need lower pressures. If you're going on uh, sand, then you're going to need lower pressures. So you've got to be aware at what sort of pressure you're going to use. Now, one of the things that I have in my car is called a TPMS, which is a tyre pressure monitoring system. And I can look at the gauge and it will tell me what pressures my tyres are at. So it tells me the four pressures. So if I need to adjust, then I can adjust and it will adjust. Uh, so as I need the tyres higher, if I've been off-road and I'm now going back on the blacktop, then I'm, I'm going to pump the tyres up. But it will tell me how all the tyres are going. So of course you've used your pressure gauge, you know, but as you're driving along, you know if your tyres are overheating. Uh, and if they overheat too much, a little alarm will go off. If you drop pressure too much, then an alarm will go off. Now that's important. I've, I've had a tyre pressure monitoring system now for about oh, 12 years, I guess. I'm on my third TPMS system. But importantly, I reckon it saved, it's definitely saved me three tyres. Now, if you say a tyre is worth four dollars to $500, then, then it's paid for itself each time. But I reckon it saved my life because on one of those, uh, we were overtaking a truck going up a hill. Everything was good. And then the TPMS, the alarm went off we're able to get past the truck, safely pull in, and we were pulled in. As I opened up the door, I could hear the tyre going, pssss, and there was a nail in there. Now, if I didn't have the TPMS, then that tyre would have blown. If it had blown, it probably would have spun. If I'd spun, then I may have rolled. Could have been dead, Fred. So, importantly, that's what you've got to do. Make sure, I would recommend to you get a TPMS system, and they're really good. Now, why don't we have a little bit of Russell Morris? Wings of an Eagle. I reckon Wings of an Eagle because he's going to be flying. That Wings of an Eagle is going to be flying all around the place and looking at the damage that the fires have created. So here we go. Russell Morris, Wings of an Eagle. You enjoy that. We'll be back with you in a little while. This is Scott Gibbons. We're on the road. I love being back with you. I did miss you. Hey, we're on the road together. Good on you. Be back with you in a little while. You just enjoy Russell Morris, Wings of an Eagle. As a 
Well, I guess that's the end of another show for us. It's another show. It's Australia Day. doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're throwing a prawn on the barbie, whether you're throwing a snag on the barbie, whatever you're doing, you just have a great day and be grateful that we're in Australia. And look after Australia because it is the best. Alrighty, I reckon we should finish this off with I still call Australia home. I know how good that is. And if you've travelled and then when you come home and you land at that airport or your ship docks, you know the feeling. I still call Australia home. Here it is. You enjoy. Happy Australia Day, everybody. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Good on ya.
but my heart lies waiting over the foam. I still call Australia home. All the sons and Australia home. 